there is a complete departing from the Word of God in Christendom today, and especially American Christendom, American Christianity. There's a departing from the Word. And the gospel being preached in churches today is that me-centered gospel. It's all about what you and what you can do and what you can accomplish and what you can have. The me-centered gospel. That's why Joel, that's why Joel Osteen's me-centered gospel packs out an NBA stadium each week. Depraved man is always glad for God's gifts, so long as he doesn't have to deal with God himself. If you're not willing to stand today, then you're not going to be able to stand in the days that we're heading into. Listen, I believe we're in the end times. And because of that, I believe we're going to see brother betray brother. I mean, it says brother will betray brother to death. And when that day comes upon you, your love for Jesus will have to significantly outweigh anything that this world has to offer. You're going to have to look at even the good things around you, the good things, and say, I'd love the Lord more. Most Christians in America today, if they're presented with martyrdom, they're not going to choose Christ. So something drastic has to take place. Yes. You see, God, he works and you can't just put him in a box. I understand that. But if we just study church history, he seems to work in types. He seems to work in patterns. And it seems like these cycles happen every 500 years. Every 500 years, the body of Christ has experienced a type of reformation. The last reformation with Martin Luther was in 1517. 500 years puts us at 2017. We are in that season. And wonderful things took place during every Reformation. The dominant form of Christianity was reconstituted into a more pure form of the gospel. The Reformations also came at time periods when Christianity was mixed with the world. There was a great mixture within the world. And today we're seeing that liberalism in the church. And that's kind of the issue that we're, we're going to be dealing with because it's, it's not about one particular issue. It's about many, many issues, but the one that's presented before us right now is the sin of, of homosexuality. So really, what, you, what we're going to be going through very quickly is the timeline of stories of Chick-fil-A. So the exclusive Chick-fil-A, this is the original story. Chick-fil-A stops donations to charities with anti-LGBT views. And so it talks about how they're going to not do- donate anymore to places like the Salvation Army mm-hmm. and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So Chick-fil-A denies, here's the Christian post, mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A denies um, caving to LGBT activists. Beginning in 2020, the Chick-fil-A Foundation will introduce a more focused giving approach, donat- donating to a smaller number of organizations working exclusively in the area of hunger, homelessness, and education. So then we have the Salvation Army's response, and which they said, we're saddened to learn that a corporate partner has felt it necessary to divert funding to other hunger, education, and homelessness organizations. Areas in which the Salvation Army is the largest social services provider in the world and is already fully committed. Okay, so if it really is about more bang for your buck, wouldn't you partner with a single largest provider of these i will say that after all this there was a conversation about dan kathy with with dan kathy with franklin graham and dan kathy said that they have not bowed down to anyone's demands including the lgbt community now i believe dean kathy but i also believe that the ceo doesn't understand the full workings 
of a multi-billion dollar company with tens of thousands of employees. I believe we need to pray for Chick-fil-A. And I believe we need to pray for Mr. Kathy, that if there is uh, an influence of demonic entering into his organization, that the Lord would open up his eyes to it. So to continue this discussion, I actually believe at this point, we have started the second show. Mm. People just watched the recap from last week. So to continue the discussion, whenever Chick-fil-A's, the original article came out, that's apparently been debunked or whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not what I don't need those to make this point here. The original story that talked about how Chick-fil-A had bowed down to the LGBT community mm-hmm. and because of the radical pressure that they put on them to stop donating to these particular organizations because they're anti-LGBT. And the whole story was Chick-fil-A caved. Mm-hmm. They caved and they they have they have left their values, they've left their stance, and it was a blow to to true Christians. Cause you know, we love Chick-fil-A. We love that it's the best fast food restaurant in America and they're hardcore Christians. Yeah. But what whether it, that story was true or not, I appreciate that that story came out because what it did for me, Andrew, mm-hmm. is it revealed who the liberal pastors all over America were. It sure did. And who liberal Christians are. Because let me tell you right now, I don't know what your Facebook is like, whether you're just in like some like random little bubble of only people that believe just like you. But for some reason, my Facebook isn't like that. And I thank the algorithms <laughs> of Facebook for letting me see the other side because it makes it a lot more easier to stand up for what I believe when I see just how crazy the other side can be. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my circle on Facebook, yes, it's it's radical conservatives like myself who you know are radical because well we believe every word of the Bible. Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of liberal people on my Facebooks and my Facebook and let me tell you right now they're not afraid to tell me what they believe, what they think. I mean, you know, I post something on Facebook and you know they're letting me know. The story exposed the liberal pastors and the liberal Christians. Yeah. Now, understand, my definition of a liberal pastor is one who leaves the Holy Bible up for interpretation and doesn't hold firm to every word that is recorded in his, the Bible, the God, God's written word. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not, they don't perform any type of exegesis. They don't read the word in context. They take it out of context, which is eisegesis. Yeah. They, they take the Bible out of context. They will take words pervert the meaning of those words, and then preach those words. Mm-hmm. And liberal pastors all over America, in response to real Christians being upset initially from the reports that Chick-fil-A had departed from the Word of God, do you know what I saw more than anything else from these from the people, from the, from the, the liberal Christians, the progressive Christians, which I believe, which I've said before on, on previous shows, mm-hmm. that liberal Christianity, if you go to a progressive church, it's progressive church now. But imagine a railroad car on a railroad track. A railroad track, you can't go anywhere you want like in a boat or a a car or something. You're on a particular track that is only going to take you where the rails are pointed. Yeah. And the progressive church, they are on track. They will not – if they simply just go to – the point that's at the end, which that's the track, they're going to become a part of the apostate church. Make no mistake. Mm-hmm. So the progressive church was this was their response, Andrew. Love everyone. Love everyone. Now, 
So I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, I totally agree with that. Yeah. We are called to love everyone. That's what Jesus did. Whoever said that, we weren't loving. These liberal pastors <laughs> and liberal Christians. See, this is what the tricky thing is, you guys. And this is kind of we're going to get into this deception. The definition of love is different depending on what church you go to. Mm-hmm. Your definition, their definition of love is different than mine. Liberals seek to change the definition of words. It's how they accomplish their goals. It's also how Satan accomplishes his will. You know, actually, I, I have articles, and we're going to get back right into this, about how they've done this. Liberals change word meanings with intent to deceive. Almost anything is possible if one has the power to change the definition of words. Take, for example, the word truth. Once upon a time, truth had a clear, concise meaning. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines truth as the body of true statements and propositions. Truth is the state of being the case. In other words, it's a fact. And you can't argue against a fact. Facts are stubborn things, said John Adams, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. Mm -hmm. In our postmodern culture, a number of people have come to believe that there is no absolute truth. For them, all truth is completely relative. For the relative, the relativist, there is no universal moral truth, only what each individual perceives as truth. We all have our own truth, they say, and it is intolerant to push our views on others. Surprisingly, and this is what we're talking about, a growing number of self-professed Christians embrace the concept of moral relativism. Even though doing one's own thing is patently unbiblical. What is truth? Pontius Pilate asked Jesus prior to sending him to the cross. In this instance, Jesus chose to remain silent. But on other occasions, he addressed the truth question head on. For instance, he stated, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. Anyone who rejects Jesus Christ will not enter the kingdom of heaven, ever. That is truth. Amen. That's incontrovertible truth. Liberal ideologues redefine words to help advance a religious, political, environmental, scientific, or social agenda. Never mind that to do so is to pervert the truth. Their motto is, the end justifies the means. Or to be more precise, do whatever it is you must in order to get the result you want, regardless of the methods used. Mm -hmm. It does not matter whether these methods are legal or illegal, fair or foul, kind or cruel, truth or lies. Democratic or dicta dictatorial, now, just good so you know, or what, evil. What you're just, what you actually just said, is actually outlined in Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, which was a, a basically a book to teach radicals how to take over an entire culture. Saul Alinsky, I mean, that was someone who um, Hillary Clinton absolutely revered was Saul Alinsky. And in that book, he even dedicated it in the, in the beginning of the book, he dedicated his book unto Satan, hmm. that their goal is by whatever means, do it. Change the words. Change. If you can change the words of a culture, you can, you can take over the entire culture. Yeah. Here are a couple, here are a couple of, of, of words, okay? And we're going to get back to this because it all ties in. One word that liberals have redefined, dreamer. 
The Obama administration hijacked the word dreamer to apply it to what? Illegal, alien, uh, and, and it was minors. Mm. Many who arrived in on one of the first spontaneous caravans that crashed our southern border and others who ended up here through no fault of their own. It seeks to impose the view upon the public that the American dream, so elusive to many hardworking Americans, is transferable to anyone who clandestinely manages to invade our homeland at the expense of those who have been striving for the American dream for generations. Hmm. It's changing the word. It's changing the word of, of its connotations in, into the new generation. Yeah, Income inequality, a catchphrase to help justify implementation of a socialist agenda in relation to redistribution of wealth and forfeiture of personal property rights. When discussing income inequality, what is generally ignored or swept under the carpet is the fact that the left's upper you know, basically who rules right. the, the left is made up of almost exclusively millionaires and billionaires and the assorted, you know, limousine liberals. And that's another limousine. The next word is liberal. The, <laughs> the word liberal has completely changed. Yeah. Liberal in its original non-ideological context referred to someone marked by generosity or a person with liberal viewpoints open to differing opinions. Le- several centuries ago, it began being applied to political ideology. The uh, the founding fathers were liberals, and praise God they were. Mm-hmm. They supported limiting the power of government, and that government powers should be checked at every turn. In stark contrast to modern political liberals, other words include patriot, or progressive, or even illegal alien, or even life. They've changed the word of what life means. Yeah, they have. Social engineers are currently attempting to redefine the word life. Ever since Roe v. Wade ruling, abortion supporters have been striving to convince society that a growing, developing fetus is a parasite and not alive, which is so interesting that they say, no, a fetus isn't a, a baby. Well, then quit calling it a fetus. Yeah. That- fetus is literally Latin for what? For a baby, exactly. Basically, yeah, yeah. For- and that's and that's that quote where it says to make murder respectable. That's exactly what they have done. This is murder to kill a child, and they're proud of it. They've made it a respectable thing. Another one that they've redefined is racism, or reproductive rights. Reproductive rights is abortion. It's murder. No, it's reproductive rights, and tolerant. Basically, tolerant is to put up with someone else's opinions or practices, even though you may not like it or agree with it. But to the progressive being tolerant, it means this. You must accept their views, opinions, beliefs, and practices as being equally valid as your own. Their M.O. And listen, I'm telling you right now that this M.O. is demonic. It's not strategic. It is strategic, but it's a demonic strategy. If, if the right was doing this, I would say it's a demonic strategy. Let the words mean what they mean, because whenever you start changing the meaning, it casts confusion. Liberals doing this are inspired, whether they realize it or not, by the enemy, by Satan. And the same type of stuff is entering into the church. Yeah, It's entering in the church. The same mentality or the same MO of Satan is in the body of Christ. Yeah. We are called to love everyone, but your definition of love, progressive Christian, is totally different than mine. Because 
the definition that you have has been skewed. Because here's the thing. If whatever you do offends me, this is what they think. If right. whatever you do offends me in any way whatsoever at all, you are not loving me. Hmm. But I would say that even the gospel is offensive. That is love. You see, love, a part of love is what, Andrew? It's telling the truth. Jesus would say the gospel is offensive. He said, I don't I don't come to, to bring peace. I come to bring a sword of division. The gospel is divisive. And and truth is often a wonderful thing. It's it's a it's the truth often makes you can feel all warm and fuzzy. Yeah. But sometimes truth is offensive. And that is that is for them to say that it's not love anymore is wrong. Yeah. It's an act of love to tell the truth. They said if you're offending me, it's not love. Just because something is offensive doesn't mean it isn't true. This isn't about loving someone. This is about standing up for God's truth. Yes. And it is love to tell the truth. It is. And and that's basically what they're saying is it's confusing because they say you should love everyone. And the the Bible doesn't say for the sake of love, forget what God's word says. That's power. That's good. And and actually it says that his truth sets people free. How can someone be free from the sin of let's just say homosexuality, since that's sort of what we're talking about, but not really. How can someone be free from that sin if you don't first, by the Holy Spirit, convict them that it is sin? It's impossible. It's impossible for them to have freedom unless you give them the truth. Mm-hmm. So the LGBT, they hate, these, they hate these organizations like Chick-fil-A because they stand on the Word of God. They affirm what? The biblical definition of marriage which stands in stark contrast to their lifestyle. It calls out their sin. It's convicting. And depraved men do not want to hear that they are depraved. But the world has to hear they're depraved to understand their need for a Savior. Mm -hmm. Sin must be talked about to understand our need for a Savior. It is love to, 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 to talk about the sin. I am a sinner. I, Zach Drew, am a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but really, I am. And so are you. And yeah. so are you. It's not offensive to tell me that. In the same way, the old analogy, you know, is it's love to tell somebody that there is a cliff that their car is heading to. It would be it wouldn't be love to say, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of let you keep going <laughs> your way because I don't want to offend you because that wouldn't be love. No, I'm going to love you enough to tell you where your car is heading, that you're going to die. That is an act of love. Listen, were you going to say something? Mm-mm. Listen, the thing is this, and, I, and, and there has been there was a sermon that I listened to about two weeks ago that profoundly uh, impacted me. It, is that how I say it? Impacted me? Yeah, that's the way I say it. It was very impactful. And it was a sermon by Francis Chan. And I want to want to play it for you today. Not the entire sermon, but about nine minutes of it. Because this is kind of the, what the Lord is doing in my life. And this is one, there's been many books that I've been reading that my life is just, I'm, I love the word of God right now more than ever. I mean, like, I'm esteeming, I'm revering it like never before, and I love it. I've been, I, it's like I've been falling in love 
with his word all over again. And I believe that is what Christians need right now. In the, in the progressive church, they need to fall back in love with the word of God, as the word of God, as the inerrant, as the infallible, as and, and just as relevant and just as applicable as it was 2,000 years ago. We need to fall in love with the word again because John 1 says that what? Jesus is the word. And to know the word is to know the Lord. Francis Chan, as you know, Francis Chan, he actually revealed that it was at uh, uh, Azusa Pacific University mm-hmm. that he's leaving. He's leaving. This mega pastor is leaving the country to go and serve Jesus on the mission field for the rest of his life is what he believes he's doing. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And it's such a radical decision of giving up absolutely everything that the, that the states have to offer because the word is real to him. He esteems the Bible. This isn't just, he's not just being radical for being, for, for radical's sake. The gospel has been made real to him, alive to him. And he wants to go and spread the gospel in ponds that have not been fished well. <laughs> I was impacted by his sermon. And I want to play a few clips from that sermon for you today. I think that you're going to love it. Here's Francis Chan on speaking how to declare the gospel in a pure and unadulterated way. Because you see, we are to preach his word as an open statement of truth that might offend people. But we're not, we can't worry about that. We've got to simply just preach the gospel and let it preach itself. Here's Francis Chan. And there was a passage that convicted me a few weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, where Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul says in this passage, he goes, I refuse to be clever. I refuse to practice cunning. He goes, but instead, I don't, I'm not going to tamper with God's word, but instead I'm going I'm to give an open statement of truth. And I, I was reading that, I got convicted because I thought, man, I try to be too clever sometimes rather than just openly saying it especially in this day and age. You think, man, I've got to address this carefully. I've got to say this so right, because if I say it the wrong way, it's going to offend someone. And, and, and even like we, we like to hide certain things about God because we think, well, I don't want to tell them about his judgment. You know, not right off the bat. That's like a few years into it. Let me slowly ease them into who God is. Let me slowly ease them into what this commitment is about. But that's not the way Jesus taught. Jesus would get in front of a crowd like this and he goes, hey, I'm about to leave here and be nailed to a cross. So unless you are willing to just ditch your life and pick up the cross next to me and go get nailed to this cross, don't bother following me. 
Because unless you deny yourself all those desires you have, all those dreams you have, unless you're ready, ready to just leave all of that and pick up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Same thing Paul's saying here. He goes, I don't, I don't, I just refuse to practice cunning. That word cunning means genius or clever or even deceptive. He goes, I try, I, I'm not gonna try to talk you into something by some clever talk or some creative way. He goes, instead, I'm just gonna openly declare the truth. I just say, here it is, because if you don't accept it, it's not because I wasn't clever enough. He says, if you don't accept it, it's because there's something spiritual going on. And he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time when America esteemed the word of God. And now people simply believe what they want to believe about it. You know, I saw a meme the other day on, on, on Facebook, and it, was, it said this, if the Bible calls it a sin, your opinion doesn't matter. And I'm saying, like, if the Bible calls it a sin, Zach, your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. Our opinion doesn't matter. Let's continue with this. I'm just going to say, I've seen something happen. And I'm not saying it's just APU. I'm saying it's our culture. But as I'm sitting there reflecting to 20 years ago, and how I used to speak, and what it was like, I'm realizing it was different. Sometimes we drift and we don't realize it. You know how like when you were growing up, your aunt comes once a year at Thanksgiving, go, wow, you got so big. But no one in your house says that, because they just, every day you grew a millimeter, and it's like, they don't know. It's, It's that same type of thing where there's this drift sometimes you don't see. And I can say, And again, I know this is a generalization and absolutely not true of everyone. But there have been changes here um, with the student body, with the culture, where this book, man, it used to be revered more than it is now. And people used to just go, okay, whatever that book says. And now there's been this rise of our own feelings and opinions and our thoughts. And this book is slowly drifting. And we've been so scared. Well, don't dare hurt their feelings. Don't dare offend. And now suddenly we start speaking to not offend people. And the truth is, is is this word is becoming less and less and people are just rising in their opinions and they're just believing what they want to believe. Paul said this would happen in in 2 Timothy 4. He goes, in the last days, people aren't gonna put up with sound doctrine. He goes, instead, they're gonna want their ears tickled. They're gonna find teachers to tell them what they want to hear, but they're not gonna put up with sound doctrine. I mean, think about it right now. And everyone's just like, well, it's up to interpretation. No, no, no. Bottom line is a lot of you believe whatever you want to believe. Think about it. Think of something you believe right now from this book that you don't want to believe. See, people don't want to believe in this God that is up there that determines whether I breathe and live through the rest of this message. People don't want to believe in this holy God that we should fear. And so you go, well, 
I think fear doesn't really mean fear. Oh, that's brilliant. But that's, that's popular. You, you, we don't want to believe there's a day of judgment where you stand before this holy God who describes himself as darkness and gloom and a tempest, and we're gonna stand and be judged by him. We don't wanna believe that. So we go, well, I don't believe a loving God could judge people and punish them. Uh, that's, that's great. Well, this book, I don't wanna believe that I'm a bad person, that I'm an object of wrath at one day. I wanna believe that I'm a good person inherently. I think I'm good. I think we're all good. Let's just believe that. I, I don't wanna believe that what, what you said, like I, I have to deny myself? Like God gave me these desires, you're telling me I have to deny those desires, pick up a cross and follow them? You're telling me that unless I'm willing to hate my father, mother, wife, kids, renounce this whole world. I can't, I don't wanna believe that. I'd like to believe I can just pray a prayer and ask Jesus into my heart. And that's it. And then I'm going to heaven. You guys, and I'm just telling you straight out from God's word, that is such a lie. Thank you, Francis Chan, for those powerful words. And I pray that... Uh, that you would go would go and listen to that whole sermon. We're going to put the link of that entire sermon uh, in our notes. It blessed me, and I hope it blessed you. I also hope that you had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, actually, as we're watching this, we filmed two shows in one week because I'm spending time at, as we're, we're watching this with my family who's out of town, who's been out of town. And Andrew, you are actually up in Michigan right now yep. hanging out with all of your family uh, celebrating Thanksgiving. I thank God for his word. I pray that you would get into his word like never before. We'll see you next week.